Good morning, everybody. I'm Pastor Dan, if we have not met. And if we have met, I'm still Pastor Dan. (laughs) Great to see you all here this morning. Have you been enjoying our weather? I had this insane urge to go out and start up my lawnmower and drive around a little bit. So I'm driving around the yard a little bit, and my neighbors were watching, and it was okay. I felt a little weird, maybe. But what really got me is when one of them came over and handed me my own business card. So I have an appointment with myself next week. Yeah, don't be late. I'll try to be right on time. Please be in prayer for Pastor Eric and Pastor R. They are ministering in Haiti this week to a pastor's conference. So please keep them in your prayers. Pray for fruitfulness down there uh, in the area of Belladere where they'll be preaching and teaching and that the God will bring us back, them back to us next Sunday. Pastor Eric will be bringing the word next Sunday. So keep them in your prayers this week if you would. Okay, we're going to continue the series in Mark, the Gospel of Mark, in about the king and I. And we're going to tackle verses 14 to 16 out of Mark 1. I'm sorry, 14 to 20. So let me read through that. Read with me if you would. After John was put in prison, Jesus went into Galilee, proclaiming the good news of God. The time has come, he said. The kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. As Jesus walked beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and his brother Andrew casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. Come, follow me, Jesus said, and I will send you out to fish for people. At once they left their nets and followed him. When he had gone a little farther, he saw James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John in a boat, preparing their nets. Without delay, he called them, and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired men and followed him. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the word, the power of your word to change our lives. And as we look into this section in Mark, I just pray that you would help us to internalize these truths so they will dig deep into our hearts and find a place to grow. As we talk about what it means to proclaim the good news, what it means to repent, what it means to renounce, and then what it means to be a disciple of Jesus. So I pray your spirit would work on our hearts, that we would surrender to you, that we'd be not distracted by other things, that we would focus on what you have to teach us this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, we're first going to look at verses 14 and 15, drill down there a little bit. First thing it says there is after John was put in prison. Anybody remember what happened to John the Baptist? How many of you were here last week? How, do you, how many of you remember anything about the sermon? Well, just for review, just for review, John the Baptist had called out Herod, who was the reigning ruler at the time, because he had his brother Philip's wife unlawfully. Her name was Herodias. And they were after John the Baptist, because he dared call them out. So they had a party, a big banquet, a big feast. And Herod, when he was drunk, said to Herodias' daughter, I will give you anything up to the half of the kingdom. What do you want? And so prompted by her mother, she asked for John the Baptist's head on a platter. So John the Baptist was beheaded in prison. That ended his ministry. What I want you to see about this section here is there is a big transition from John the Baptist's ministry to the ministry of Jesus. John the Baptist baptized with water for the remission of sins. Jesus came to baptize with the Holy Spirit. Isn't that great? So this is a pivotal piece here. It's the culmination of all the laws and the prophets and the Testaments, Old Testament prophecies. They are coming right here in this chapter. Let me read to you Luke 16, 16, which sums that up. It says, Until John the Baptist began to preach the laws of Moses and the messages of the prophets were your guides. 
But John introduced the good news that the kingdom of God would come soon, and now eager multitudes are pressing in. The good news is here now. The kingdom is near. So let's break down some words, some key words in verses 14 and 15. Let's start with proclaim. What does proclaim mean? Don't stare at me. I know you know this. What does proclaim mean? Somebody? Announce. Thank you. It is an announcement. It's an open and bold announcement of something with great significance and urgency. Jesus was coming to proclaim something very important. He was coming to proclaim what? What was he coming to proclaim? The good news. Now, what is the good news? The good news is the gospel, right? And the gospel is the good news. They're the same. Now, when you think about good news, what do you think about? Give me some good news. Got a new job. That's good news. Somebody had a baby. Good news. Somebody got engaged. Good news. Want good news? Just go on Facebook. All kinds of good news there. Some dude hits the lottery. That's great news for him. There's all kinds of good news. Births, announcements, graduations. Isn't that cool? Good news. We just got a wedding invitation from my son, Kevin, which was a little surprising because we didn't even know he had a girlfriend. <laughs> I'm just kidding about that. They've been dating for five years. It's about time they get married. We're so happy for them both. But it's good news. And there's all kinds of good news we can have. But the best news is this good news. It's the best news ever. It's the greatest news you could ever get. There's nothing that comes in an Amazon box that's any better than this good news. It is the best news of all time, the news that we can have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, that Jesus saves. Amen? Amen. And we got that same news today. That hasn't changed. The good news is no different now than it was back when Jesus first came to proclaim it here in Mark 1. It's still the best news ever. Listen to this out of Isaiah 61.1. It says, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me. Because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor, he has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, and the opening of the prison to those who are bound. That's the same good news, guys. We got that message to give, and we need to be giving it out. We're to be the UPS, the FedEx, and the U.S. Postal Service of the good news. They go everywhere, all the time. That's us. We're to be ready to deliver the good news every opportunity we have. Build relationships so we can deliver that good news right on time. We have good news to tell, don't we? Listen to this out of Isaiah 52, 7. How beautiful in the mountains are the feet of those who bring good news, who proclaim peace, who proclaim good tidings, who proclaim salvation, who say to Zion, your God reigns. Did you know your feet are beautiful? Did you know that? Turn the person next to you and say, hey, your feet are so beautiful. <laughs> you, you know, and, and it's a metaphor, so work with me here, okay? <laughs> they may not necessarily be so beautiful, but they're beautiful when they carry good news. When someone brings me good news, I, I love their feet. I love everything about them because they're bringing me some good news. And we've got that good news. And our feet are beautiful when we carry that good news. Let me ask you guys, are you carrying that good news? Where's that good news going? Neighbors? I got neighbors who need the good news. I got a next door neighbor. I'm just hoping and waiting for the I went for spring to come so I can see the guy. Now everybody kind of goes in their garage, close the garage door, never don't see him. I'm hoping it snows so we can go out and shovel snow together. Have a chance to talk to Mark about just life. Just build a relationship with him. I know he thinks we're weird. I already got that. 
but I want to build a relationship with this guy so I can share the good news. Who are you sharing the good news with? I'm, I'm telling you, people all around you need to hear the good news. And we've got it to tell. We've got the best news ever. All right, another phrase here. The time has come. What does that mean? Jesus was announcing that the fullness of time is now here. It's go time. It's show time. Everything has come together. Remember, God is never a minute late and never a, a minute early. Is that true? He's right on time. I wish that repairman was right on time. But God is right on time. It says here in Galatians 4, 4 and 5, But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption of son. The fullness of time. It was just the right time. Next phrase. The kingdom of God has come near. What's he talking about there? This was the beginning of Jesus' ministry and the beginning of the reign of king, the king of God. The full realization of the kingdom will come much later. The kingdom hasn't come yet, has it? He said it was near. And it was near because Jesus Christ was here. And he's still here. So it's close, but we're not there. See, the Jews wanted Jesus to come in as a conquering king and run the Romans out and take them away from the oppression that they've been experiencing. But Jesus didn't come to do that, did he? He came to preach and proclaim the good news. And Luke 17, 20, 21 Here's how the kingdom is defined. Once on being asked by the Pharisees when the kingdom of God would come, Jesus replied, the coming of the kingdom is something that it cannot be observed, or, or nor where people say, here it is, or there it is, because the kingdom of God is in your midst. Romans 14, 17, for the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. That means the kingdom of God's here. Anytime we are operating under the Spirit's control with righteousness and we experience peace and joy, that's the kingdom of God. It's here this morning. The kingdom of God is near. It is here. So the kingdom of God is in the hearts of His people, those of us who are disciples of Jesus Christ. And when we follow Him and experience joy and peace, that's the kingdom. All right, now I've got a question for you. What did Jesus tell us to do? Verse 15. Don't, don't be staring at me now. Repent and believe. Let's start with repent. When's the last time you used that word? I haven't used that lately myself. It's right here, though. He says, repent. What does that mean? Turn. Turn. It's a 180. It's a Yui. It's, here, you want it ready for this? Here's repentance. Did you get that? I'm going to do it again. So some of you weren't still. How's that? That's repentance. I was going toward my, thank you very much. I was going toward my sin and I turned around and I went the other direction. That's what repentance looks like. It's turning away from. I'm out of there. And you know what, guys? We need to have a repentant heart at all times. Is that true? Why is that? Because we're always messing up. That's why. We need to have an attitude of repentance, always ready to be ready and listen to the Spirit when He says, you know, Dan, you need to repent from that. It wasn't right. The way you think isn't right. That's what the Spirit does, yes? Am I going to listen? Am I going to turn? That's something I've got to decide, but we need to have a repentant heart and live with that attitude. We need to keep our decks clear. Those of you who are married, is that not good advice? Good advice? Yeah, things pile up, don't they? I've been married for 34 years. Anybody? Yeah? All right. Who's been married 40 years? Anybody 40 years? I'm watching you, buddy. I know how long you've been married. 40 years? Is that the max we got in this place? 
45? Man, you guys, thank you. Thank you for staying married. I appreciate that. That makes my job so much easier. That is super. That's a long time, isn't it? But it's good advice to keep your decks clear in a marriage. Is that not true? Don't let things build up. I mean, it's like not taking your trash out for about six weeks. Can you imagine? Every Tuesday night, I take my trash out. Nice man, the big truck takes it away. Brings it back empty. Can you imagine if I stopped taking my trash out on Tuesdays for about six weeks? It'd fill up my garage. Then I have to have it in the family room. Pretty soon it's in the living room. It'd be all over the house. Can you imagine not keeping your decks clear and taking that trash out and letting the wonderful God heal it and take it away and forgive us? It's a mess. Trust me on that one, okay? All right, so how many of you have seen what it says on the backside of a shampoo bottle? Anybody read your shampoo bottles? You do? That's really weird. Yeah, but what does it say at the very end? It says rinse and repeat. Why does it say that? Because they want you to shampoo. Exactly, they want you to buy more shampoo. That's the truth. You know what? I don't rinse and repeat. Ha ha. So I use less shampoo. But that's not my point here. When it comes to repenting, we have to rinse and repeat over and over again, all day long, 24-7, 365, rinse and repeat. God, cleanse me. Help me to repent and have a repentant heart so you'll take that sin from me and then rinse and repeat. It's an ongoing thing. So what does a repentant heart look like? Listen to this verse from Psalms 51, 17. It says, My sacrifice, O God, is a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart you, God, will not despise. God values our brokenness. He values our contrition when we are genuinely sorry and not just sorry because we got caught. When we are grieving because of what we have done and how we've sinned against him, that's what he values. When we play it off, he doesn't value that. He doesn't care about our performance. He doesn't care how good you look. Do you have a repentant heart, a broken heart? Listen to this out of Ezekiel 36, 26. He says, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit within you. I will remove your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. Now, that's a good deal, isn't it? Now, let's admit it, guys. Sometimes our hearts get hard and stony. We can turn our backs on God, and, and we get all, all locked up, and don't pay attention, and our hearts get hard to His Spirit. He's saying here, I want to give you a new spirit, a new heart of flesh that is pliable, that He can use. It's a God-filled heart. So the heart of flesh is a repentant heart, Yes? And the repentant heart is a renouncing heart. Okay, I know I'm getting a little carried away with the R words here, but stay with me. I've got a reason to do this. The renouncing heart. So what does it mean to renounce? Renouncing means to formally declare one's abandonment of sinful behavior, attitudes, or thoughts. It means to reject and repudiate our sin. It means to recognize and voluntarily give up our sin. It means to refuse to engage in and support sinful behavior. Are you getting the flavor of this? Make it go away. I want to shun it. I'm going to send it away. I'm going to repudiate it. I'm going to renounce it. I'm going to do it actively too. I'm going to actively renounce the sin. So I'm going to ask you guys, I'm going to go through a list here of nine things that we need to renounce. And it's probably twice as long. These are the ones I want to start with. Ask the Spirit to show you which one of these might be something you need to repent from and renounce in your life. First of all, the repentant heart renounces any attempt to justify its sin. 
It renounces any attempt to justify its sin. Jeremiah 17.9 says, The heart is deceitful above all things and beyond cure. Who can understand it? How many of you said to yourself like I have, Why did I do that? What was I thinking? That was really stupid. What happened? My heart, my deceitful heart got there, didn't it? And it made its move before I could stop it because our hearts are truly deceitful. How many times, parents, any parents in here? Yeah, how many of parents of really large people, big people? Okay, you can remember back that farther, can't you? How many times have your kids come to you with a really, really good reason why they had to do what they had to do? And you're like, mm, no, <laughs> wrong answer. But we all do it. We justify, we explain, we rationalize, we try to legitimize. And here's a personal favorite of mine. We come up with alternative facts. All that means is I'm lying. It's just another word for lying. But we do this. We come up with these excuses, explanations. Let me tell you why I did this. But I'm here to tell you that a repentant heart renounces any attempt, any attempt to justify our sin. Our sin is not justifiable. It's just wrong. It's just sin. And we need to recognize that that's what we're made of. That's not going to change until I breathe my last, until I get a new body someplace where sin is gone for good. Till then, I've got to deal with this. So we can't turn our backs on this part of us that wants to minimize our sin. And, and, and uh, we need to renounce it instead and humbly accept that we are sinful people who need consistent, consistent cleansing. Rinse and repeat. Number two, repentant heart renounces self-sufficiency. It depends fully on God for everything. I was out on my deck a while back and it was one of those nights where the clouds were hanging low. It was a full moon. And the moon kept popping through the clouds as it, as it moved. And I got that strong sense of motion of the earth. You ever get that? And I was just looking at the clouds, and they were just moving. I'm like, man, this earth is moving at an amazing speed. That's why the clouds are moving. Duh. But what reminded me of how God holds this whole universe together, how he holds the gravitational force on this earth so that we don't fly off into space and become space trash. He holds everything together by his power. By his word, everything hangs together. We are totally dependent on him. That next breath you're going to take, that came from God. The fact your heart just beat about four times, that means that's something God is making happen, isn't he? We are totally and completely dependent on him. 2 Corinthians 3, 5 says, Not that we are competent in ourselves to claim anything for ourselves, but our competence comes from God. Amen? That's the one I struggle with the most, guys. I'll be honest with you. I like to do things in my way and on my time. And God always reminds me, man, you haven't got it. You don't got it. You've you got to depend on me or you've got nothing. Number three, the repentant heart renounces hate and revenge. Hate and revenge, not us. Are you talking to me? I'm not a hateful, revengeful guy. Am I? Am I Ken? Am I that? Yeah. Yes, I am, actually. Actually, I can be that way. We all can be that way. Is that true? When someone does you dirty, and it lights you up, someone does something dirty to you, they, 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 they stock smack about you behind your back, how do you feel about that? You want to run up and give them a kiss? No, you don't. If you're not careful, you're going to try to think of a way to get them back, right? I told this story earlier. I was watching a documentary on two of my favorite basketball players. How many of you remember Magic Johnson and Larry Bird? Anybody? Okay, thank you. We'll have a fan club meeting afterwards. So, so I was watching these guys because they represented this incredible, intense competition rivalry back in the early 80s. Larry Bird played for the Celtics, Boston, 
and Magic Johnson played for L.A., had their game called Showtime, and they were just very, very different people, but they had the intense rivalry, and they kept meeting in the national championship, NBA national championship, world championship, actually. And then one year, one of them would win, the next year, the other would win, and they just went back and forth with this incredibly intense rivalry. And I was watching this documentary, and Larry Bird was talking about how he felt when his team, the Celtics, beat Magic Johnson and his team. And you know what he said? He said, I hope he burned. I hope he really burned about that. I want to beat him so badly. I felt so good about that. I go, whoa, dude, Larry, man, that's pretty, that's pretty vengeful stuff, isn't it? But that was coming out of his heart. He was so glad that he beat his rival. He felt good about it. He wanted to burn, and that's hate and revenge. And let's not act like we can't get there, guys. Let's not pretend like that is in our heart somewhere. And you know what is even worse than that? Scripture tells us that if I have hatred in my heart toward a brother and sister, I'm a what? I'm a murderer. Are you serious? That's what it leads to. Remember Cain and Abel? Yeah, that's what I'm talking about. And that's something we've got to guard against. We've got to be careful against that. We've got to be really careful. Here's Matthew 5, 44. It says, but I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Anybody really feel like doing that? No, this is a God thing. He has to do a work in our hearts. We want to love them upside their heads, right? <laughs> but he tells us we're to love our enemies. That's one of the things that separates Christianity out from so many religions. There are other religions out there that say, go get them, tiger. Go get them back. Even the score. But he says here, love your enemies. Romans 12, 19 and 21, it says, Beloved, never avenge yourself, but leave it to the wrath of God, for it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, saith who? Not me, the Lord. You know, isn't it a good thing that none of us have been tasked with revenging and taking revenge on our enemies and all the people we don't like or disagree with us? Man, there'd be bodies laying everywhere, wouldn't there? So much better, he's saying, let me take care of it. A just and perfect God is going to handle it. He may not do it now, and he may not do it in the way I would do it, but he's saying, here, don't take revenge. Let me deal with it. In fact, he says, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him some to drink. For by doing so, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not over, be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Man, is that the stuff we're made of? No, it's not. No, it's not. But here's what it says. We need to renounce hate and vengeance in our hearts. Number four, the repentant heart renounces the evil one and all his deeds of death. You know what I'm talking about? Who's the evil one? Satan. Satan. He's the evil one. James 4, 7 says, Submit yourself to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. What's the first part of that? What is it? You've got to submit first. If you don't submit to God, you will not have the power to resist the evil one. You won't. He'll eat you alive. But if you take the power of the Spirit and resist him, he takes off because Satan's a coward. He knows what's going to happen to him. He's a coward. So we need to resist the evil one, but do it after submitting to the Holy Spirit. Okay, the repentant heart, where am I here? Okay, number five, the repentant heart renounces the desire to gain the approval of others. It only desires the affirmation of God. Now, let's be honest, guys. We all like it when people tell, hey, you're the best. You're the bomb. I, I, thank you so much. You're just amazing. You're awesome. Anybody hate it when they say that? No, we're going to like, like you very much. Right? We all like the approval of men. We enjoy that. The ad affirmation feels good. But what I'm saying here is that a repentant heart disavows that desire to get the approval of men because at the end of the day, the only one that counts is whose? God's approval. 
All you want to hear is, well done, thy good and faithful servant. That's all you want to hear. Because the rest of this just goes poof. I remember spending time with a friend who had trophies from all his athletic endeavors. Trophies after trophies. He had a room dedicated to his trophies. And the guy was an amazing athlete. But you could tell that he was so proud of what he's done. He would give you a tour of his trophy room. You know, and I left there thinking, man, that, that dude's all about what he's done. And you know what? That stuff's going to burn one of these days. Those trophies are getting tarnished while I'm speaking. Man, that is not eternal stuff that he's proud of. What does it say he's going to last? Only what's done for God is going to last and not burn. I used to have a sticker on my mirror. I need to get another and put it up there. And all it said was, it's going to burn. And it was a reminder to me to make sure that whatever I'm doing has eternal value and worth and not that stuff that's going to burn because it was about me and getting the approval of men and women. Okay, number, uh, here's a warning, actually. I'm going to give you here Matthew 6, 1. It says, be careful not to practice your righteousness in front of others to be seen by them. If you do, you will have no reward from your Father in heaven. And God knows your heart, doesn't he? If you're doing it to get the praise of men or women, then that's it. You're done. That's all you get. He said that to the Pharisees. They said, when you go out in the street corner and make a big deal about what you're doing and you're giving all this good stuff, hope you enjoyed it because that's all you get. There's no reward in that. We do things in secret. When we don't go around blowing our own horn, then God will reward us. No one even necessarily begin this life either. Number six, the repentant heart renounces the darkness of its past. It seeks healing and recovery from the darkness of the past, but looks ahead to the goal of being like Christ. Here's a familiar passage out of Philippians 3, 3 4, 13 and 14, rather. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to have taken a hold of it, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. Now, does this mean we just ignore the past? I can't afford to do that. It's dragging me back. That baggage that we take along with us that we picked up along the way, we've got to deal with that. And what I'm hearing here is deal with your baggage so you can look forward, so you can go forward without all those, that baggage holding you back. By the way, if you want to unpack your baggage, Celebrate Recovery is a great place to do it. How many of you know we have a Celebrate Recovery program here? Yeah, I know that because I'm there. Celebrate Recovery, Thursday nights, 7 o'clock. If you've got a hurt, habit, or hang-up, I'm going to invite you personally to come and join us. Come check us out because that's where recovery happens. Let me tell you, those folks that come to Celebrate Recovery, I have the deepest respect for them because they are the most authentic and transparent real people I've ever met in my life. They're there to do business. They're there for recovery. They're there because they want to heal, and they want to do it in a community where Christ is our higher power. I invite you personally to come to that. Better turn the page, huh? Uh, number seven, the repentant heart renounces fear as the way to obedience. It responds to the loving kindness of God who gently leads us away from sin. The churches I grew up in taught me to be afraid of God. Anybody born and raised in a church and they said, man, God's going to get you. You better watch it. He's watching you. You're in trouble. So I grew up with this idea that God was just waiting to slap me down. Big smack down on Dan. Anytime I messed up, he was just, great, I get to hit him again. That's the view I took in because that's the view they preached. And God was scary. And I'm here to tell you, I'm so thankful I've learned to see God differently. Yes, God's holy, and yes, God wants obedience, but he does it out of love, not out of punitiveness or fear. Because remember, perfect love does what? Takes fear of fear. Fear goes when there's perfect love, and Jesus is perfect love. He loves me perfectly. I don't love him back perfectly, but he loves me perfectly. It is true that he watches us. Is that true? 
All right, so there's a Christian school where the kids are lining up for lunch, right? So on this end of the table, there's a big bowl of apples. There's a sign on it that the teacher put there that said, just take one, God is watching. So down on this end of the table, there's this big plate of chocolate chip cookies, and one of the students had put another sign on it that said, take as much as you want, God's watching the apples. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'm pretty sure he could watch both. The point here is he's not given us a spirit of fear. 2 Timothy 1.7 For God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and love and of a sound mind. So fear is not from God, is it? But he spends a lot of time in Scripture saying, Fear not. Don't be afraid. He knows what we're made of. I'm a big scaredy cat. I'll tell you right now. I'm a scaredy cat. And he says, Don't fear. I am with you. I'll always be with you. We need to renounce fear as a way to obedience. Number eight, the repentant heart renounces pride for good deeds and gives all the glory to God for any spiritual growth. Philippians 2.3 says, Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather than humility, value others above yourself. It's not about us, is it, guys? And if we're prideful and we're going, hey, Yeah, I'm pretty good, huh? Like that? He's going to resist me. He's going to shut me down because I'm doing it out of pride, not out of humility. And that's a tough one, isn't it? Pride and humility? Yikes. He will resist the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. So we need to renounce the pride for good deeds and make sure that any time you grow or something good happens, that God gets the glory, not you, not even the pastors, not even the person discipling you. God gets the glory every time. Number nine, the repentant heart and renounces a spirit of condemnation. And what does that mean? Well, one of these is the condemnation is a critical spirit. You better ever met somebody with a critical spirit? And what are they about? They're always being critical. You can't do anything right. They're always criticizing you. I was raised with some folks like that. Whatever you did, it just wasn't right. And they always had a reason why their way was better. It's a critical spirit. And they keep coming at you. But listen to this here in Matthew 7, 1 and 2. It says, Do not judge, or you will be judged. For in the same way you judge others, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Yikes! That means if I, if I am talking smack about you and talking about what you didn't write, God's going to use that same measure back on me. I think I better watch my critical spirit, don't you? I better watch that condemnation. There's another piece of this I want you to hear too because I know a lot of folks who have this issue, we're condemning of ourselves. Yeah, I grew up in an environment where one of my aunt's favorite phrases was, shame on you. I can still hear her saying it. That was her favorite phrase, shame on you. Okay, got it. Shame on me, I'm bad. And that sense can lead to, to a condemnation of ourselves and where we're beating ourselves up. I didn't do it right, I didn't do it perfect. Shame on me. Hear this from Romans 8.1. There is now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. How much? None. Zero, zip, not a goose egg. No condemnation. That's freedom. That's saying no matter what I tell myself or what you criticize me for, it's not coming from God. It's gone. He took it on the cross. He took the full weight of my condemnation on himself. So if I feel condemned, it's because it's coming from me, you guys, somebody else, or Satan, right? And it's not legitimate. It's not coming from God. He says, I love you. I see you like I see my son. You're good. I love you. No condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. All right, let me just remind you guys, this is a repetitive process. This is something we've got to do every day. Is that true? We've got to do this on a regular basis. So I want you to continue to ask the Holy Spirit, what do I need to repent from? It'll be something. 
What do I need to renounce? What do I need to say? No, I'm not doing that anymore. I'm not supporting that anymore. I'm repudiating that thing. I don't know what it is for you, but I know it's something. Rinse and repeat. What's the next thing Jesus tells us to do? Verse 15. Believe. We have to repent and got to believe. So the next step of repentance is not just to turn away from sin, but it is to turn toward God. That's what we need to do. So believing the gospel is more than intellectual assent, isn't it? It's more than just something we do with our mind. It's more than a theoretical concept. Let me tell you about my zipline experience. Anybody ever been on a zipline? Anybody know what a zipline is? What's, what's a zipline? Someone tell me what a zipline is. It's a, it's, a, it's a cable, and you hook yourself to it, and you pray you don't die, right? <laughs> there are zip lines all over the world. In fact, there's someone in this church has got one in their backyard, and last service, he invited me to come use it. So I'm like, yeah, I'll be there. Zip lines. But let me tell you my zip line story. Back when Abby was a little younger, she's 15 right now, I was at a recreation park down near Boonesboro, Antietam Recreation. They have a zip line there. And so I was there with Rachel and I, and we were watching these 90-year-old, 90-pound kids going, wee, back to the canopy of the trees. You couldn't even see them. And then, wee, they come back the other direction on the same line. And I was going, this is fun. That's good. And then my daughter says, hey, Dad, why don't you go? Um, and you know what you don't want to do is come off like a wuss in front of your daughter. So I was in a dilemma. I was in a serious pickle here. You guys, I really didn't want to go on that zip line. So I, I kind of go over to the person who's putting every the harness on him, and I say, you know, how much does that thing hold? And she goes, oh, 1,250 pounds. So I'm doing some fast math here, and I'm going, I think i got some wiggle room. So, so she gave me the right answer. Man, if she said something lower, I'd go, I don't think so. But she said 1,250 pounds. You know, I said, okay, man. That's not my out there, is it? i got to go on this thing. <clears throat> so I get all harnessed up, and I'm on the, there on the edge, and the platform's right here, and I'm looking at that thing like, oh, my gosh, do I have to do this? I'm going to die. <laughs> but you know something? Up to that point, the whole idea that this zip line could give me a fun ride, and I would go, wee, was a concept that was just in my head. I had some degree of trust. I thought, well, this woman wouldn't lie to me. Why would she lie to me and tell me it really only holds 90-pound kids, and you're going down and die, dude? She wouldn't do that to me. So I trusted her, and I looked at the harness, and you know, I just checked it all out, but until I stepped off that platform, I was not committed. I was not trusting that line. It was just a concept in my head, but when I stepped off and put my full weight into that harness and that line above me, I was committed. That's called belief. That's when I believed. Because you know what happened? Sure you do. Wee down through the trees, and wee all the way back. Because it did hold me. And let me say this to you. I'm not going to assume that everyone in this room knows Jesus Christ as their Savior. I just can't do that. I'm not, I'm not going to take that chance. But let me just say to you, if you're still looking at Jesus and Christianity as this concept, this thing you're thinking about, that might be a good idea, you're checking it out perhaps, you're not committed yet. I want to ask you to commit yourself today to the ultimate zip line, to the ultimate harness, because he can hold us. His zip line has no limit, has no capacity. He took everything on the cross. He can handle your sin. Make that decision today. It's the most important one you'll ever make, ever. All right, let's move to the next section here, verses 16 to 20. 
As Jesus walked beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and his brother Andrew casting a net into the lake for they were fishermen. He said, come follow me, Jesus said, and I will send you out to fish for people. At once they left their nets and followed him. When he had gone a bit farther, he saw James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John in a boat preparing their nets. Without delay, he called them, and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired men and followed him. Now, chances are good that these men knew about Jesus. Chances are that they were probably disciples of John. But look at what they did, guys. It'd be like Jesus walks into your office space, or he walks into your home, or he walks into your, your school and says, come, follow me. And you drop exactly what you're doing, and you just follow him. You drop your mouse from your computer, you drop your broom, the dishes are there, and you just walk right after Jesus. That's what these guys did. Can you believe that? It says, without delay. They didn't say, hey, I got some stuff to finish, a couple projects to do. Can we schedule for next week sometime? That's not what they did. They dropped everything. They dropped their nets and left to follow him. Let me ask you, what would your response be if Jesus walked into your place? He said, hey, follow me. What would you tell him? Hey, uh, can I get back with you later? Let me clean up a few loose ends and I'll be right there. That's not what these disciples did. There wasn't any urgency. But for these men, it was urgent. They left. Let me tell you an experience I had about urgency that I hope I never, ever have again. I'm going to try to get through this. I was driving home one night after dark. It's probably about 11 o'clock or so. And I was on 194 in Walker's. Will anybody know Walker's really is? greatest town in Frederick County. Thank you. I live in Walkersville. So, so I'm about a mile and a half from my house. I'm driving on the, one, the 194, and I was coming up the traffic light, and I see this man in dark clothes walking across 194 in front of me. I'm going, oh, my goodness, this isn't going to be good because there's a car coming the other direction. And sure enough, that car hits this guy, throws him up in the air, I am losing my mind. I can't even believe what I'm seeing. I've never seen anyone hit by a car before. I said, I, my brain was going, did this just happen? Because it looked like someone took a jacket and just threw it up in the air. And this, remember, this after night, all the lights we had were on our, in front of our cars. And I said, did this really happen? I'm, I'm just kirking out. So I, I got to a place where I could turn around safely because I was so afraid that all the cars coming the direction I was coming, going to keep running over this guy, and that would be it for him. So I, I turned around, and he had crawled off uh, to the side of the road in the berm, and my headlights came right right there, right where he was, and he was screaming in pain. Blood was dripping out of the side of his mouth. And I'm going, oh my gosh, by that time, I dialed 911. I've never dialed 911 before. Never had a reason. I had a reason. And I was going, get the ambulance over here now. This guy's right in front of you. You wouldn't believe what happened. I was, I was talking like a crazy person. I was freaked out. The urgency was just killing me. And the worst part of it was Walkersville Fire Department, our volunteer fire department, was literally a quarter of a mile. I had a good stone. I could have hit the building. I'm thinking, guys, get up. Let's go. Get over here. This guy's going to die in front of my headlights. I felt some urgency. So I kept talking to 911. The guys who had hit him came back, and they were on the phone with 911. And finally, a couple of deputy sheriffs show up, which wasn't what I wanted. I wanted an ambulance. This guy needed an ambulance. He needs someone who knows EMT stuff and then fix him up and get him to the hospital. So I'm still freaking out. And then all of a sudden, there were just ambulances everywhere, fire trucks, state troopers, everybody. And they come out. And, and even after that, I was still freaking out. This isn't good enough. You've got to get him in the ambulance and get him to the hospital. You could see his leg was like this. I'm not trying to gross you out here, guys. But when they cut his leg off, I go, oh, I don't want to see that. This guy was hurt bad. So they put him in the back of the ambulance and eventually took off. I think they're probably trying to figure out where they're going to take him. But let me tell you guys, I felt some urgency that night. I haven't felt for a long time. I was so afraid this guy was going to die right in front of me. 
And later I thought this. Here's what I want to say to you. If I had even a tenth of the urgency that I felt that night for spreading the good news of the gospel to those who are dying in their sins, I'd be a different guy, wouldn't I? If I could hold on to that urgency, the guy's dying in front of me, for those who are dying spiritually, I'd be a different guy. You'd be a different person. Because there's urgency here. Amazing urgency. I hope I never see that again. And I hope the guy's okay. I looked at the newspaper, didn't see anything. I think he probably was, but you never know. But there was urgency there in my heart and certainly in those. All right, let's move on here. What is a disciple? Anybody? Anybody know what a disciple is? Who? What? What? A follower of Jesus. You guys are good. Matthew 419. It's a little different than the one we have here in Mark 1, but it's a parallel passage. Matthew 4.19 says this, Follow me, and I will make you, what? What's he going to make us? Fishers of men. So there's three pieces of this. First one is to follow. What does follow mean? It's a commitment we do with our minds and our intellect to follow Jesus. So remember, repentance is the same thing. I'm going this way. I'm following myself. I'm following Satan. Boom, I'm following Jesus. I'm following. What it means to follow is that we make a commitment to a lifetime of becoming like Jesus. That's what a disciple is. I want to look like him. I want to act like him. I'm going to do his will. I want to have his mind. I want to think like him. I'm going to imitate him. And we do that with our heads, don't we? That's a decision that we have to make to follow. Second thing, he says, I will make you. Now, who's going to make us? Am I going to make me a fisherman? I don't think so. God will make us. He will transform us by the power of the Holy Spirit from the inside out and will make us Fishers of men. He's going to transform us into someone who knows how to go out and spread the gospel, and that wants to go out and spread the gospel, who wants to make disciples and more disciples who live in love like Jesus. So there's a transformation here, and that happens in our heart right here. Right here. Fishers of men, what does that mean? When you're going fishing, that's an active process, isn't it? You have to do it with your hands. Any fisher persons there? You guys like to fish? Yep. So you got to do it with your hands. We go fishing. We use our hands for that. We join him on his mission to bring the good news and to make disciples. So we got three pieces there. Which is the first one right here? What's this? What's this? What are these? You guys are really good. You got it. Hit hard hands. That's what it's all about. And each one has to happen before you're a disciple. You got to follow. You got to be transformed and then join him on his mission. So first we choose to follow Jesus with our head. Then we allow him to transform our hearts. Then we use our changed hearts to use, help our hand, use our hands to join him in his mission. So let me ask you guys, are you disciples? Are you following? Are you being changed? Are you being transformed by Jesus? And are you out on mission? Are you out spreading the good word? Are you out spreading the good news? Are you making disciples? That's what he did. Now I'm going to have my good friend and fellow elder, Ken Fowler, come up here and close us in prayer. Good morning. My name is uh, Ken Fowler. I'm a disciple of Jesus and an, an elder here in the church. I'd like to share with you one verse today. Uh, it's 2 Chronicles 7, 14. If my people, who are called by my name, will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven 
and will forgive their sin and heal their land. Folks, if we want our nation to change, we must pray for our nation. Today, we've heard a lot about personal repentance, but in the same way, our nation needs repentance for the direction we have been heading. I'm asking you now to join with me in prayer for our nation. Lord, bring our nation before we bring our nation before you today. We come asking you for your forgiveness, for your direction and your guidance. Your word tells us in Isaiah 5:20, "Woe to those who call evil good." And that is exactly what we've done as a nation. Father, we're asking your forgiveness because we have lost our spiritual equilibrium and reversed our values. Forgive us for exploiting the poor and calling it lottery. Forgive us for rewarding laziness and calling it welfare. Forgive us for killing the unborn and calling it choice. Forgive us for neglecting to discipline our children and calling it self-esteem. Forgive us for abusing power and calling it politics. Forgive us for coveting our neighbor's possessions and calling it ambition. Forgive us for polluting the air with profanity and pornography and calling it freedom of expression. O oh Lord, forgive us for ridiculing the time-honored values of our forefathers and calling it enlightenment. Search us, O oh God, know our hearts. Cleanse our nation from every sin and set us free. We pray these things in the precious and holy name of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. Amen. Thank you all for being here today and worshiping with us, and have a great week as you follow Jesus.